You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. The hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains. DLTs and cryptocurrencies. In today's episode, we are joined by Alexandra DeCosta and David Yi from Aspen Creek Digital Corporation, which is a renewable-powered Bitcoin mining company. Alexandra is the CEO and David is the Chief Commercial Officer. With that, Alex and David, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Let's start off with a quick introduction to our audience. Uh, both of you come from a tradfi background. Alex, you spent most part of your career working on Wall Street, and uh, David, you too spent most of your career in, in investment banking. We'd love to know more about your backgrounds. What got you interested in crypto, and what ultimately led you to Bitcoin mining? Sure, I'm happy to start. So I, uh, as you mentioned, spent my entire career uh, in traditional finance on Wall Street on the debt side. I was in securitized products and structured finance, uh, and after about 17 years of doing that, became drawn to helping finance either earlier stage companies or more esoteric companies with a particular focus on on climate tech. Uh, which is what led me to pivot to uh, being head of ESG and impact investing for a firm where David and I actually work. And so it was through this new lens of looking at you know companies with with an ESG angle uh, that David and I connected on Bitcoin mining and looking at the energy consumption of Bitcoin mining and how some companies were you know mitigating that through. Uh, or at least the cost of that through the things like hydro. Uh, and so as we delve more into the the subject matter, um, really started thinking, is there a better way to mine Bitcoin and to use the you know exorbitant amount of energy that it does require as an opportunity to stand up new renewable power? And so uh, that's really what what led me down the the Bitcoin mining path. It, it was actually very accidental in looking at it. Uh, as just another niche industry that in the end I got very excited about and, and saw a wonderful opportunity. Perfect. David, how about yourself? Yeah, so like like you mentioned, I had a career in investment banking. I had jumped around at a number of different shops, but had focused mostly on commodity-based businesses, so um, metals and mining, precious metals and, and base metals. And... Um, so I have a commodity background, which obviously lends its uh, lends itself well to to Bitcoin mining or sort to Bitcoin. And then I also had a uh, an introduction into the power grids. My father had actually worked at a utility up here in Canada, and I spent a couple of years working there. So this intersection between digital compute and power was just something that um that that resonated really well with me. And as a result, I pivoted in two thousand and twenty to uh, cover the crypto space from a banking perspective. And it was there where I really started to cover Bitcoin mining at his industry. And then I just caught the bug. And, and Alex mentioned how we, uh, how we got connected there. Um, and that, yeah, that's, that's, that's really how I got in, into this. Thank you for sharing your stories with us. Now let's just quickly uh, jump into looking at the company that you work for today, that is ACDC. When I think of ACDC, Three words come to my mind, you know, energy, mining, and computing. You mentioned the, uh, the cross-section of energy and computing, right? So could you break down for our audience uh, what ACDC is and what it does as a company? Sure. Yeah, Aspen Creek Digital Corporation, and obviously we like that name because you know, we, we love the acronym ACDC and we get a lot, a lot of uh, compliments for that one. Um, but uh, we are a vertically integrated um compute infrastructure company that partners with renewable power developers to catalyze new power generation um, with, I guess, in the first instance, Bitcoin mining as the off-taker. Um, you know, we're obviously looking at other potential use cases of that power as well. But in the first instance, uh, we're definitely focused on Bitcoin mining as an industry. Um, and so that's what we do. We, we build the data centers um, and we use as a, use those assets as an opportunity to bring new power online. To date, we have 
uh, built two projects. So the first one is a six megawatt data center that is co-located behind the meter with a 10 megawatt solar farm in Colorado. And our second facility, which came online at the end of last year, is a 30 megawatt data center that's co-located behind the meter with an 87 megawatt solar farm. In every case, the power generation are assets that would not be stood up without us. And that's really key uh, to our business model is that we are bringing on net new generation in excess of the power requirements for our data center. Um, and we believe that that is adding a net benefit to communities, uh, to, to the grid as a whole. Um, and that's part of our mission. Could you just quickly for our audience uh, clarify what co-location is? Uh, you, you mentioned it. Yeah, so, so co-location uh, meaning that we are building and locating the data centers directly on site with power generation. And so there is no um, transmission that is required to take that power from where it was generated over to the the data center itself. And so we locate those next to the power generation. Um, so that happens what we call behind the meter. Um, in every instance, we're, we're connected to the grid um, so that you know, our additional power generation can go towards the grid, but also to allow us to be able to pull on power outside of uh, the solar shape or wind shape, because obviously those are inter- intermittent power generation sources. Uh, so you, you mentioned the term uh, behind the meter, and uh, uh, from what I can understand, uh, it means that you're directly connected to the uh, power source, right? So you're directly plugged in into the power generation uh, solar in this particular case. Does it also imply that you're not actually uh, paying for it, or is this kind of there is a different kind of uh, arrangement uh, from what you have when you have to? Uh, I mean, when you supply energy to the to the grid, for example. No, so good question. Uh, when we are behind the meter, we are most definitely still paying for that power. So we are um, directly off taking the power from the power generator. The power generator will also be connected to the grid and sell any additional power directly to the grid. Um, but being behind the meter just means that, you know, there is a physical meter that connects to the grid that keeps measure of how many, you know, how many megawatts hours of power is being either being consumed or generated. And so what, what being behind the meter means is that, you know, our load can be offset against generation prior to it hitting the grid. Okay. But we are definitely paying for the for that power. Okay. So, but but you're not paying for kind of variability of demand. So we are paying variability uh, of on power. So I mean, you can you can um, contract that power in a number of different ways. So when we partner with our power developers, we can enter into a fixed price power arrangement, power purchase uh-huh. arrangement. Um, we could also enter into a variable price power purchase arrangement as well that would quote some market price as well. Um, we tend to like the fixed price arrangements because it gives us certainty around, you know, our cost structure. Um, but, but you can structure it either way. The other component of our power that comes not from our co-located power generation source, so in, in this case, solar, um, again, that power mix can also be uh, variable or can be fixed. Um, and so you can work with the utilities to, uh, to to enter into the type of financial contracts that, you know, that better, best suit your business. Okay. So I guess, you know, before we jump in to take a closer look at ACDC and how the company operates, uh, we also want to have a quick discussion around the larger picture and you know, the history of Bitcoin mining itself. So, of course, uh, we know that Bitcoin was the very first blockchain. It used proof-of-work mining as its consensus mechanism. But along the way, uh, as new blockchains came into the market, they chose proof-of-stake over proof-of-work. So, uh, in a nutshell, you know, in, in 2023, we're kind of in a place where a lot of blockchains choose proof-of-stake over proof-of-work, citing themselves to be more environmentally friendly, uh, at least for marketing purposes. So, uh, you know, as someone who is working in the mining business and who's probably seen the narrative evolve over the past years, how do you see the space today in terms of the general public perception around it? And also in terms of maybe the regulations around crypto mining? Sure. So 
I think that the the proof of work versus proof of stake argument uh, is obviously something that we could take hours getting into. Uh, I think that there's there's kind of two ways to answer it. There's, you know, in response to your how does the the general public feel about it? And I think that there we have to make a few assumptions about the general public and maybe regulators understanding of what proof of work is versus proof of stake. And 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 can they really be interchangeable? Can you really move from proof of work to proof of stake? And I think that for the ease of of this conversation, we need to agree on the fact that the Bitcoin mining community uh, sees a greater value in the continuation of proof of work, uh, the the validation of these transactions and and the ability to create new new blocks using proof of work as being you know kind of paramount to the security of Bitcoin, uh, to the inclusivity of Bitcoin, uh, and to the overall process. And so I think we have to maybe at least today at least agree that Bitcoin mining is proof of work. Uh, it will not follow in the footsteps of Ethereum as proof of stake. Um, and so then you get into, well, what does the public think of that? Uh, should they care? And, and frankly, it, it does become a, energy consumption uh, argument versus a, you know, security of the blockchain and, and frankly, um, you know, just how inclusive it is. Because with proof of stake, you're really relying on on staking, right? And so if you have enough money or enough ability to stake, you're suddenly having a seat at the table, which as with, with proof of work, you know, you really are relying on also the nodes in addition to just like the large scale miners. And so um, it is a far more inclusive process. And so I think then we have to take it a step further and say, okay, well, then how do we feel about the energy consumption of Bitcoin mining? Uh, and, and, and do we think that it's maybe the reward is fair? Um, and that's really, I think, what ACDC likes to focus on is at the end of the day, Bitcoin mining's energy consumption is frankly no greater than a lot of industries, right? So, so first you have to say to yourself, do you think Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining should exist? And if your answer is yes, then we just have to be more creative about the types of energy sources that Bitcoin mining relies on. And can Bitcoin mining be advantageous to the grid instead of detrimental? And that's where models like ours, models like other folks come in and say, let's make sure that we can use Bitcoin mining, you know, as a benefit to the grid, as opposed to just merely an energy draw. Just a quick follow up on that. And this is a little bit of a technical question. So you mentioned, you know, the energy consumption associated with the Bitcoin network. But, you know, another bad rap that the Bitcoin network generally tends to get uh, from the public is is the heat that it generates, right? So at ACDC, you know, uh, as a data center, do you use any kind of waste heat recovery mechanisms? Like, do you use the heat that's generated from these miners to provide heating solutions for any nearby homes, offices, buildings, uh, you know, in the form of heated water or anything else? We do not currently. Uh, I think the 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 ability for heat reclamation for any form of data center uh offtake is is excellent the challenge you run into with bitcoin mining um is that bitcoin mining doesn't often take place you know in city centers right it's also loud uh you can argue you don't want it to be pulling from that local grid and so of course you know immersion etc we we then kind of address heat and and noise but let's just assume we're talking about air cooled um if you're going to be using that heat reclamation for something that is going to directly benefit a local community, you are by default assuming that that Bitcoin mining operation is very close to that local community. And it often isn't. And so we have aspirations to be able to, you know, maximize the, the utilization of that heat. And you, you see it in various parts of the world. For example, using reclaimed heat for, uh, fish farming, among other things. Um, and, and so there's, there's massive benefits to that. I just think that oftentimes the locations that existing Bitcoin mining operations are, especially in the United States, don't always immediately lend themselves to um, obvious uh, heat reclamation, you know, uh, use cases the way that we would like to see it. It's not like you've got a 
uh, a, a typical kind of like industrial plant that is, you know, on the outskirts of town that you could then use for something, you know, nearby and related. So I think going forward, we would like to um, be a lot more thoughtful about, you know, how we are making the most of all of the energy that we are both utilizing as well as creating. And heat is obviously a form of that energy. Uh, and then you just have to make sure that, you know, you control the land upon which you sit, either through long-term leases or own. You, you're, you're located next to something that could use that heat or you're partnering with another industry that would like to co-locate with you and take advantage of that heat that's created. So it's it's definitely, I think, a step that the industry needs to continue to move in, um, even if you put your environmental hat aside, just because, you know, heat is energy. And so any wasted heat is wasted energy, which is wasted money. Right. And yeah, that makes perfect sense. And just to add to what you said, I guess this is the reason why uh, most of these data centers, you know, that, that are providing heating to the local community that are based in Europe. So like I was just reading uh, this one article, you know, about Facebook having its data center somewhere in Denmark that provides heating for water supply for about 7,000 nearby homes. And uh, Microsoft is building another data center uh, in Finland, um, Helsinki, I believe, you know, where they're planning to provide heat to about 100,000 homes. So yeah, like you said, you know, uh, one common factor with these locations is that, you know, you have a high uh, heat demand density, you know, like in a small area that there's a lot of demand for heat. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's the reason why it's, it's not big, uh, in, in the U.S. as yet. But the reason for me to ask this question was because, uh, you started off your op operations in Colorado and Colorado being a cold place, I thought, you know, it could maybe benefit from the waste heat from these data centers. There's, there's absolutely, you know, very kind of, um, light lifts in order to capture, you know, spent heat and recirculate that back into your own building so that, you know, you're keeping your temperatures more constant. And so, you know, Colorado is a perfect example of that, where you can utilize your own heat to, to keep things where you want them to be. Um, but, you know, to your point, we, we would like to be able to to provide that heat to, you know, other local entities that may want it. I think what's interesting about Bitcoin mining is that, you know, not only is Bitcoin, you know, truly the decentralization movement, but it's also physically decentralizing from a data center perspective. And so you'll, you'll start to see more applications within data centers move away from the expensive city center hyperscale data centers from where they've you know historically been forced to exist and i think that's what's going to be really interesting is that right now bitcoin mining seems to be kind of out on its own in the outskirts of wherever i think over the next few years you'll start seeing other data center applications move out there with it if they don't necessarily need to be uh you know centrally located the way that they historically have and then i think you're going to see a lot more interesting you know um relationships between, you know, these little, you know, kind of uh, more remote data center uh, locations and and how they can share energy, share power, share heat, etc. I, I would I would also add that one of the benefits of Bitcoin mining over the traditional data center industry um, and one of the f issues that the traditional data center industry um, deals with is that the the delta uh, temperature change um, is sometimes not significant enough for industrial purposes. Whereas Bitcoin mining actually generates typically more heat than what a typical, you know, uh, data center would generate and actually can get you to a level where um, it may be useful for, for industrial purposes. And so, you know, I think that we're just in the early days of uh, investigating all of this at the moment. There are a, a number of, um, companies that are innovating in this space directly where they're trying to come up with very direct use cases, whether it's, you know, breweries or um, heating, you know, wood for, for lumber purposes. I've, I've heard or heating greenhouses. I've heard a number of different um, innovations being developed. It's just, you know, we're, we're really in the early days of Bitcoin mining. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next five to 10 years we see uh, significant improvements um, on the heat reclamation side to Alex's point. Just one more quick follow-up on the heat reclamation before we start to discuss in depth, you know, what ACDC does. A couple of years back, I think, you know, I, I read this news story about a Russian company setting up crypto mining uh, facilities somewhere in Siberia uh, because it would considerably lower their cooling costs, you know, for these mining facilities. Do you see any larger trend, you know, for Bitcoin mining companies to move closer to colder areas, you know, or near the poles, you know, where it would make uh, more sense uh, just operations wise? I mean, there's a couple of, I have a couple of points there. I mean, I think what you're looking for is actually 
stable <laughs> temperatures. Um, and so working in cold, uh, environments is actually also, it, it poses completely different challenges, uh, to, to the, to the actual operations itself as well. We have to keep in mind, um, you know, there are really only so many form factors of what Bitcoin mining ASICs currently look like today. And they are somewhat temperamental and don't really enjoy drastic changes in temperature. So if you want to locate in somewhere like Siberia, you're going to have to get your heat recirculation um, done extremely well um, when, you know, the temperatures are dropping 20, 30 degrees overnight, potentially. Right. Um, so and, and not to mention, if you want to participate in any type of demand response, well, what happens when your miners are turned off and, and they're not generating heat to recirculate anymore and, and you want to turn those miners back on. So, um, you know, being, being in the cold environment is actually some, sometimes a very difficult, um, environment to be operating in. But, but to your point, these miners get very hot. You need them to be cooled. Um, and so sometimes operating in a colder environment can be a really good start. And not to mention, uh, you, uh, in Siberia, you also need to be near a, suitable power source right so uh, i would imagine something like a nuclear plant or something would probably be a reason to host it in siberia uh, so just to kind of move into the acdc uh, structure of the company I, I found it quite interesting the way i could understand it essentially is that uh, the primary asset or the primary thing that uh, the acdc uh, company basically focuses on is the data structure sorry the data center and and you have partners uh, that help you uh, or that that you work very closely with to build the solar farm and the power generation and uh, i think uh, birch creek was the name of one of the partners that were you you were using and uh, you also have uh, partnerships with bitcoin mining operations like compass mining and a couple of others uh, galaxy uh, digital i think was the other name i heard uh, where you basically do hosting for them so I was kind of trying to uh, figure out uh, rather maybe and and maybe you touched upon this a little bit I think when you uh, discussed you know what could be potential future workloads uh, I wanted to kind of understand why you picked bitcoin mining so if you step back and look at the company as a whole you're essentially a data center business uh, you uh, the the USB basically is uh uh you have your own captive power generation so you have solar plants that you can directly plug into and uh, so you have this nice combination of a power generation source and a data center for uh, drawing that power so you have a uh, a consumer or a customer for your power generation source uh, readily available uh, but why why did you choose mining as your uh, workload when you could have maybe taken up uh, pretty much any kind of uh, computing workload, right? So Bitcoin mining is a very forgivable load. Uh, Bitcoin mining can be turned on and off with no interruption to the process other than obviously the you know lost opportunity cost of, of physically mining Bitcoin. And so when you think about what we are trying to do, which is to reimagine the data center as a bi-directional node of power on the grid and to develop a consumer of the power we are generating that is forgiving to the intermittency of renewable power and is also willing to be this flexible load, right? It is willing to be turned on and off with no lost work. Uh, Bitcoin mining is a perfect candidate for that. Uh, it is also, you know, one of the lighter lifts in terms of standing up a data center. If you look at uh, standing up a, a, a typical hyperscale data center, for example, you're looking at, you know, 10 to 12 million dollars plus per megawatt. If you're looking at Bitcoin mining, you're, you're well under a million dollars. And so um, if your sole purpose is let's find a way to stand up new renewable power, then first and foremost, you need to make sure that the load, the consumer of power that is interfacing with that renewable power is willing to be interrupted. And not just because the sun only shines during the day or the wind only blows sometimes, but that the beauty of, of working with the grid is that, especially in places like Texas or Colorado, 
uh, is that sometimes the grid needs us to turn off because they need that power elsewhere and they will pay us to do so. And so you really want um, a consumer of power, a load that is willing to be turned off. Um, hyperscale data centers are not willing to be turned off. In fact, the reason they're so expensive is because of the redundancy built in. So no matter what power source you have, you've always got backup power. And so that's, you know, kind of defeating the purpose of what we're trying to do, which is to say, let's find something that's more flexible. Um, Bitcoin mining was also just a great first uh, kind of application of this concept of, of the data center as a flexible load and definitely will not be the last, uh, but, but it was definitely a great first step in, in trying to rethink how a data center really behaves on the grid. Wow, that, that, that's so fascinating, Alex. I mean, so yeah, now that I think about it, yeah, it is the ideal interruptible road, is it? But because you basically, uh, the opportunity cost is basically the cost of the mining uh, puzzle. And uh, if you miss this puzzle 10 minutes down the line, you get another puzzle to mine. And basically, Bitcoin is cumulative. And uh, since it's a, like you earlier pointed out, it's a truly decentralized network, you're not so worried about uh, responsiveness as long as you send out your uh, solution to your puzzle uh, soon enough, uh, it'll get settled and you make the money. So that's that's a great insight. And uh, But I, I was also just then quite curious. So does it mean that right now you are directly, when you can say you're directly connected to your solar power source, you don't have any buffer, uh, you don't have any battery, you don't have any kind of electronic, electrical buffer in between to you know, smooth out the load or is it, is, is, are you saying intermittent because like you said, you know, the sun doesn't shine everyone. So you're basically switching off your load uh, during the night, for example. No, no. So what we have is we have, um, so we, we, we have a solar that produces and there's obviously a project substation and in that substation, it will um, provide power downstream to us. Um, at that substation, we have uh, a switch yard, which can, automatically pull either from solar or pull from the grid. And so when, when solar is shining, you know, or solar is producing power, we'll obviously pull from solar. Um, and when it is not producing, we'll pull from the grid. Um, but we have that all set up so that it happens seamlessly and doesn't affect our operations. Uh, okay. So then, so then uh, you don't really need an intermittent load, do you? No, no. From a, from an operations perspective, uh, theoretically, we could draw from the grid all the time. Uh, but for anyone that is consuming power, the name of the game is controlling your own power and getting access to cheap long-term power. And so right. our ability to to turn off, to get out of the way, uh, is, what, is, is one of the ways that we get access to cheap power in addition to the existing contract that we have in place with the solar. Uh, there are just going to be moments when you know, the even if the sun is shining, power prices are incredibly high. And so we can do one of two things. We can mine Bitcoin cheaper than anyone else can because we're drawing from our solar. Or we could choose to turn off and sell to the grid at a higher price. And that's what the grid wants you to do. The grid wants you to not draw on their power when the grid is strained. And so by drawing on our solar, we do that. And by selling not only the power that we would be consuming from the grid, but most importantly, turning ourselves off and selling the entirety of that solar production to the grid. That's where we are extremely additive. Um, there's obviously an economic incentive for us to do so, but that's also why the grid wants to see us there is because when we turn off, we're not just giving back our allotted power, we're giving them brand new power that typically is never on the grid. And that really helps to smooth out you know, those, those peaks in, in particularly in the Texas power market. So what you're talking about is more than just the peaks and loads uh, in terms of the actual availability of uh, power. It's also the economic smoothing out of it, right? It's almost, you're almost like a, uh, so <laughs> it's almost like a control system. You're kind of dampening the uh, large fluctuations that might be there in, in terms of pricing by being this particular passive cost that you can soak up some of the cost in when you when it's cheap and get out of the way when when it becomes expensive so you get you provide more power for the rest of the community so to speak exactly yeah that's that's a that's an extremely 
Well, that's a sophisticated uh, system. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, I mean, so uh, I'm, I'm curious, is this con- completely automated or is it something where you, you guys are kind of, is that the job that you guys do is that, you know, daily look at the uh, spreadsheets and uh, figure out, you know, when to switch off and switch on? No, it, it can be automated. Uh, it, it is automated. Um, but I would say uh, no matter how automated something can be, um, you're only as good as your ability to truly understand that risk. Uh, and I think that there's really no substitute for having, you know, our management team at the helm, um, regardless of the ability to physically, you know, automate the process or not, because, uh, you know, the conditions under which you would like to curtail one week may not be the conditions under which you would like to curtail uh, a following week. And so, we like to always keep a, a really close eye on it, but but yes, you know the the software that we that we use uh, allows it all to be automated um, if that's the approach you would like to take. So just to kind of like uh, move a little bit further, so how how does that work with your clients, right? Uh, like, so uh, do you have like a special arrangement with Compass Mining that that lets them know that hey, uh, because it's if I'm not mistaken, Compass Mining itself is also in turn hosting mining for other clients or customers, correct? Yeah, so we have to um, think very uh, carefully around how we enter into our hosting contracts with our customers um, to make sure that we have the embedded flexibility for us to be able to have more of an intermittent load and, and provide you know some of that power back to the grid. So uh, we are in our service level agreements, we do not ever say that we are going to provide 99.999% uptime like a tier three tier one data center um, we have it's very explicit that we will provide something lower than that um, and so our customers are are fully understanding of what our business model is like and that mm-hmm. by the way is how we can deliver the lower cost um, charge to them right because yeah. for us to be able to flex our uh, power uh, ultimately brings down our power costs which will ultimately bring down theirs Right. And, and, and you'd also mentioned, I think, uh, that you do some amount of self mining, uh, as well. But even though the main majority of the stuff is hosted, I'm, I'm actually curious as to, uh, the mix and, uh, as to why, why you do self mining. Is it just more of a kind of like a, you know, opportunity, uh, make money? You, you want to, you want to kind of participate in, uh, Bitcoin directly, uh, or is it something else? When we started the company, the idea was to be predominantly self-mining, uh, candidly, because that's, you know, really where the industry was going. And also uh, for our first site, which is a six megawatt site co-located behind the meter with um, 10 megawatts of solar in Colorado, you know, you wanted to make sure that, you know, that that pilot project was, you know, initially your own machines, uh, yeah. you know, just making sure that all the testing is appropriate, et cetera. Um, as uh, you know, as, as, as our evolution occurred and as, as the market really, you know, did what the market felt like doing last year, a few things happened. Um, first of all, there were a lot of, uh, of our peers who had secured tens of thousands of machines, uh, stateside, but didn't have anywhere to put them. And so, uh, and at the same time, you know, the, the desire to raise, you know, the amount of capital that it requires to do 100% of self mining in last year's market was, was really frustrating. And so, we took a look at it and said, my goodness, we're the folks that actually have the infrastructure. Uh, we can actually achieve our same goals in terms of being able to be this, you know, vertically integrated data center. But does it really warrant going and being 100% self-mining when we can provide that service to someone else and still operate in a, in a similar fashion? And so uh, I think that, you know, had had the market not developed the way that it did from a, a a demand for machines perspective that suddenly everyone had their machines but nowhere to put them you would probably see us doing more self-mining uh but it it, it just so happened that the the stars aligned and, and it really made us as a infrastructure provider a lot more of a valuable counterparty uh and so took at that step where we needed to go out and become you know all self-mining but self-mining is important because um, yes, it does allow us to generate income that's just, you know, separate from the hosting revenue, but it also, it does allow us to, you know, to, to test out different things. And, and you always want to make sure, you know, what do they say? You want to make sure you eat your own dog food. And so, you know, we always want to make sure that we're, we're self-mining alongside our counterparties. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm totally understandable. Yeah, the dog fooding thing really hits uh, because yeah, that's that's definitely something you want to do. Uh, so just to get back to the energy question a little bit, and uh, so you mentioned that uh, there is a certain amount of uh, energy that is uh, also given back to the grid you know as part of being part participating in the grid uh, so typically what is the kind of a mix that you have you know how, how much of it is used by the data center how much is uh, given to the grid and uh, you know what what's the mix like so we can use our second site as an example we built an 87 megawatt solar farm and we have a 30 megawatt data center and so when the solar is producing at its nameplate capacity, over half of the power uh, is going to the grid and only, you know, 3087 is actually coming to the data center. Um, and to Alex's point earlier, uh, we can actually make that, we can actually provide not only the, the, the uh, power that's over and above our uh, use, but we can provide the full amount to the grid as well. So um, I, I don't, I'm just trying to think what the numbers would be off the top of my head, but I would say from that solar facility, which was stood up uh, because of us as the off taker, you know, you can see probably at least um, two thirds of the power that's being generated from that solar farm going to the uh, to the grid. Now, specifically, like our power requirements, um, you know, as our data center, we tend to operate at around, let's call it 95% uptime. And so from our perspective, you know, if you look at what our load requirement is from from a power perspective, um, we're providing about five percent of our load back. Okay. And just to round out David's numbers and and our second site, like he said, is a perfect example because fifty seven megawatts uh, are always going to the local community. We we never touch that. So you know, it's solar. Obviously, that's not you know generating power a hundred percent of the time, but. Uh, it is around, you know, 57 megawatts is enough um, to power, you know, almost 60,000 homes um, in the Houston area. So it, from an additionality perspective, it's extremely material that the solar projects that we help stand up by being the off taker are having a direct impact on the local community and also helping to bring, you know, those power prices down. I think that that's what's the most important part is that, you know, we really do show up. Not only do we show up with our own power, but we show up with more than our power needs, which is a very, you know, unique model for a Bitcoin mining company. Yeah, yeah, it is definitely. Uh, have you guys started thinking about or considered uh, storage uh, as one of the components in an ecosystem, so to speak? Uh, because I think uh, that's kind of like uh, one of the hot things that uh, everybody keeps talking about, right? Uh, Elon is going around around the world putting big, big, uh, big uh, lithium-ion uh, battery farms. Uh, what do you guys think about that particular aspect of uh, energy? We pay very close attention to it, and there's an absolute benefit to um, to storage. Uh, the question is to whom. And so, if if you just look at ACDC as an entity, and we were to you know stand up storage on our side, um, extremely candidly, the price of this long duration storage does need to come down a little bit more even with the uh, subsidies from, for example, the IRA, where you immediately get your 30% back. Uh, for us, it would, if we're looking purely from an economics perspective for ACDC, you know, it, it, we would still just be better off going and standing up um, another site uh, and versus, you know, the addition of a battery. Um, that being said, there's a lot of benefit to it because what is it that you're really solving for, right? If you're really solving for a more uniform um, power shape for that local community for your project at some point you know that battery does make sense it just it's just a question of how you capture the economics but you you should and you will see batteries pop up at a lot more of these locations you just need to i think be very realistic about what the existing costs are as well as um what the existing battery capabilities are. You know, uh, right now we're still looking at about four hour batteries. Um, and, and is that really, you know, what is the purpose of that? And is that really going to achieve whatever it is that that local community or that local power consumer is looking for? I can tell you in Texas, if you had a battery that could, 
um, you know, deploy itself as the sun is setting while, while power demand is ramping up as everyone comes home after work and turns on their AC and turns on the television, that would be a very material contribution. Um, we just have to make sure that the technology truly is there and that, and that, you know, the economics of these things are penciling. And I think we're, we're almost there. Um, but I think for every single location, we're not quite there. It's still very location dependent from an economic perspective. The, uh, other thing. So when you were talking about cost, one of the things that kind of popped into my head that I, that I wanted to also ask was, regarding uh bitcoin itself right uh so uh, i know you guys have been uh doing bitcoin mining so you're very tied in and clued in into the price of bitcoin and there's there's been volatility in the price and uh let's be honest uh the the cost of uh, mining is also going up because the difficulty of mining is going up right we we, we are kind of getting to uh, nearing our next halving pretty soon uh, so how, how do you see that actually going forward? Uh, do you kind of think that there is a viable or let's say future uh, in terms of Bitcoin uh, mining as an operation given uh, this uh, volatility and uh, you know what happens if the next FTX or some next scam comes and uh, hits the price again and it goes down even further? Yeah, so it's it's a great question. And I think if you look at what the cost of mining Bitcoin, you know, 70 to 90 percent of the cost of mining Bitcoin is power. So the purpose of standing up ACDC was to give us access to long term, cheap, renewable power. So if you can isolate and minimize the greatest input cost, you are already well ahead of the game and our goal is to be you know the the miner of last resort it's no different than oil and gas or a gold mine you know the the more expensive it is to run those mines the the more susceptible you are and the more sensitive you are to the fluctuation in the price of your output in our case you know bitcoin um so i think you know making sure that we can control for um appropriately hedge and also monetize our power inputs is actually of paramount concern and and you're seeing that those that haven't fared so well over the last year and change in the Bitcoin mining space were those that were incredibly exposed on the power side, among other things. I also think, you know, with the price of Bitcoin, um, it is important, uh, but we also have to pay important uh, or extra attention to hash price. And so it, the the economics for a Bitcoin miner go beyond just the the absolute price of Bitcoin. And I think that there's some really interesting things right now. Um, and the hash price actually increasing and how, you know, we're going to, to see that continue or not. Uh, but I guess my point being it's, um, there are a lot more nuances to our industry. And I think that there's a lot more under our control as Bitcoin miners and as hosting counterparties than the market is, is willing to acknowledge on, on first blush. So that we'll yeah, see but, Bitcoin mining a while. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, but, but. If you look at the longer arc, right? So if you take the original thesis of Bitcoin, mining is supposed to be this activity that eventually comes down, right? Because it is halving. It's an exponential halving of your uh, reward. And uh, it, at some point, that reward is going to be very small and uh, not not economical for, for doing that. And that uh, particular thing gets accelerated uh, every time there is volatility and price of a Bitcoin goes down, uh, because after every halving, you're, you're not getting as many bootcamps as what you were before. So you're kind of depending or hoping on the price going up, isn't it? Yeah. So, so I mean, to Alex's point, right? What we focus on is, is, is the hash price and the hash price is a reflection of Bitcoin mining or Bitcoin's price, which is obviously volatile, but also the hash rate of the network. And so as the Bitcoin price, you know, goes up and down, obviously hash rate should, should be highly correlated to that. But to your question around specifically, like what incentive do, do miners have to continue to operate as the security consensus mechanism for Bitcoin in general? Well, a couple of things. One, um, the price of Bitcoin, uh, over time has still significant 
room for improvement. And so even through the prior halvings, um, the net mining rewards have continually gone up year over year, right? And so the Bitcoin price has gone up by more than 2x every four years, right? And we, and we expect that trend to continue for the foreseeable future, um, just given you know, I don't want to get into the details here, but like if you if you, you could use a number of different methods to uh, arrive at what you believe the Bitcoin price to be, as long as it doubles every four years, um, because it is, you know, arguably the only true, truly scarce asset that we have ever been able to conceive uh, on, on this planet. Um, that is not uh, unrealistic. And then further to that, um, what we're seeing here are additional use cases um for Bitcoin, um, Bitcoin's blockchain, uh, from a kind of transaction perspective. Um, and I think what Alex was, was alluding to earlier was that, um, you know, even this is a highly topical, um, point here because of the recent increase in price of the BRC20 token and what that's done to transaction fees. And so, you know, this week we had a block where fees to the miner were actually in excess of the block reward. And so as, yes, the block reward um, to miners gets halved every four years, uh, what we expect to happen over time is for the, the fees to increase um, as well to offset some of the losses on the, uh, on the block rewards. But, but have you been seeing that? Uh, you know, is that, is that a, I mean, this is just a curiosity question because I don't uh, followed that closely, but, uh, it's, it's, it's nice. I mean, I, I that's great that uh, the fees are going up and it's become more than the reward. Uh, that is, uh, that was interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, this is something that's happened, you know, fairly recently. Um, and like I said, this week we had blocks where the fees were in excess of the block reward. Awesome. Um, so it, it is a very positive development for, not only Bitcoin miners, but the Bitcoin network in general, right? Um, yeah, we all believe that it's going to be used as like a as a potential, re, you know, reserve currency, but um, it's proving to have use cases over and above that as well. Right. Just a quick question over there. Uh, at least in terms of uh, you talked about use cases. Uh, what are any? I mean, do you have any kind of? Uh, Thoughts, or do you want to kind of share something about how ACDC looks at your future, or what your roadmap as a company going forward is? Uh, is it going to be Bitcoin mining for the foreseeable future, or do you have ideas about what could be other loads that you could take on? Uh, anything that you might be willing to share with us? And just to kind of piggyback on that, you know, I know some of the proof of work coins that that still are there in the crypto market. I believe they are privacy focused. Do you see that as a regulatory problem, you know, to enter that market or how, how do you see that? So if, if you go back to, you know, why ACDC exists, right, it's, it's as I mentioned, you know, to, to enable the data center to be this flexible node of power on the grid and it's to help stand up new renewable power. Uh, we have a, a power pipeline that we will be party to developing that is over three gigawatts over the next few years. So, you know, we're we're only... You know, we're live on 97 megawatts of that. Our third site uh, is behind the meter with another 200 megawatts of solar, which is up. But you can imagine we have a lot of, of wood to chop ahead of us. And so what we want to do is make sure that we can help stand up that new power, you know, as quickly and, um, you know, as, as proficiently as possible. Bitcoin mining is still the best way to do that. And so that's where you will see us focus. I think, honestly, trying to get into other proof of work coins, frankly, other coins in general, we're going to leave that to other folks. You know, our our deepest belief and our deepest comfort uh, is in Bitcoin mining. Um, but that being said, there are other applications that can coexist within a, you know, a Bitcoin mining facility that may be able to, you know, use additional power when needed uh, that may be really complementary to this load. So we're definitely keeping our eyes open. And I would say even in the last year, you're really starting to see, you know, other, you know, kind of microgrid applications, other ways that that are equally as flexible and as forgiving as Bitcoin mining. And we do want to explore that, but I would say, and maybe David has a different opinion, but what we're not in the business of is, is kind of trying to jump on any new coin bandwagon. I think we've, we've all seen the, the, the pitfalls of that. 
and I think what you will see us is, is stay very close to, you know, the, the blockchain fundamentals or partnering with people in this space who have really deep expertise, um, you know, in, in the extension of that. I think that's maybe the, the biggest lesson that we've all learned is um, not to be distracted by by shiny new things. And if especially when it comes down to, you know, the technical aspects and the financial aspects make sure that you're partnering with people that have a really deep understanding of of their corner of the industry or don't try to do it yourself. And so whatever it is, you'll see us <laughs> partnering with guys that know what they're doing, uh, you know, and, and making sure that if we're going to do something new, it's it's with the right people. That's awesome. Uh, actually, I think uh, I just looked at the time. It's, we've been uh, chatting for almost an hour now. And uh, I also wanted to put forward my uh, thanks to Alex and David for this great conversation. It's something that, uh, you know, both KK and I were excited about. It's not something that we usually explore. And uh, I mean, frankly, this uh, just a position between energy and uh, data centers and uh, mining uh, it seems like a winner, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, like you said, uh, you chopping down more of the forests, <laughs> chopping down more of the wood, as you said, and uh, uh, creating uh, more uh, renewable energy for us as a whole. And I just want to quickly throw in my two cents as well. You know, from the macro perspective, there's a lot going on in the world of crypto from the perspective of public adoption, real world applications being built on it to uh, possible regulations uh, for the industry as a whole, right? And we kind of see Bitcoin mining is still at the heart of the success of crypto as a whole. So yeah, I mean, uh, we are really glad to have had the opportunity to speak with you. Uh, I thought this was a great conversation. And uh, once again, we want to thank you for your time and we wish your team all the best. Thank you for having us. This was such a pleasure. Thank you so much, guys. Once again, that was Alexandra DeCosta and David Yee from Aspen Creek Digital Corporation. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Also, you can learn more about us at bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.